0: Well, good morning, New Hope family. Glad that you're here. Glad that you're with us online, whether you're one at home or 10 at home and you're watching through virtual church. We're really glad that you're doing this with us. And we, as you know, have been doing this for about 12, 13 weeks now. Michael and I were talking just before We got into the service this morning, how long this has gone on yet. In some ways it it seems fast, other ways it seems like it's really drawn out for a very long time. So I'm glad for people that are able to be here this morning in the auditorium. Michael mentioned earlier, if if you just joined in, there's a few people in the auditorium this morning, um, staff and leadership team who are helping us work through the, the dry run responsibilities as we open up publicly next weekend so we're looking forward to having you here here's a couple things we're going to ask is that you would cut us some grace as you come in the building next weekend be be very gracious to each other and recognizing we're working through protocols, working through systems that we haven't had to do before. So you'll find the auditorium is a little bit different in the way that the seats are spread out. There's quite a bit of distance between rows and you'll find obviously that people will be wearing masks in the auditorium. There's a special area for individuals who medically or feel like they can't wear masks that they'll have a seating area over by the windows, but most people will be wearing those and following the sanitization procedures that we have set up in the building and we'll all be doing that together so that we can be the church together. So we're looking forward to having you here. We're looking forward to extending each other grace. We're looking forward most of all to celebrating our great God together. And doing that as we look at his word and as we worship together. So we're glad that you're part of what we're doing. And when you come in next weekend, um, some that are here today can get them in advance. We have the little parables book, section number three. So we're going to be starting that in three weeks we'll be starting the next parable session so uh, this weekend not and next weekend not because it's father's day but the weekend after that will be in parables number three so you're going to want to pick these books up when you get a chance to come in the building or you can download it if you don't want to pick up one of the books you can get it online So I'm going to ask you, if you would, um, church, if you'd go to the book of Job, if you have your Bible with you this morning, we're going to be bouncing around in the book of Job this morning. Maybe you have it at home um, electronically on your device or you have a hard copy. Those that are in the auditorium this morning are doing the same thing. We're going to be in the book of Job. We're doing a little overview. We did it last weekend and we're going to do it again this weekend. And then next weekend, we won't be in Job. We'll, We'll be doing something special for Father's Day. Before we do any of that, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Would you bow your head together? Let's go before the Father. Lord God, I thank you for what you're doing, even though we can't always understand it, that you're at work. Jesus said that you're always at work, that he and the Father are working at this very moment. So, God, we come before you recognizing that as the great triune God, that you mean things for our good, that you're doing things for our good, even when we can't understand it. So as best we can do, fathers, especially as we work through Job's story this morning, we pray that you would illuminate our mind, that you would give us greater understanding of your purposes, especially as we look at our country, father, and we see what seems to be an unraveling of things that we had known but rather father I I believe that you're working in this and you're accomplishing things for good according to your purposes so I pray father for healing in our land I, I pray that your purposes will be accomplished we pray that the virus would be wiped out we come before you asking for that that you would restore the things that are good about our nation. And God, that you would remove the things that are evil. So we ask for that and we come before you in confidence knowing that you want that. So we pray for our leaders. We pray for those who are in power that have the ability to make decisions. God, that you would guide them with wisdom. And then we come before you on our behalf asking that you would guide us now with the wisdom of your word and that you would speak and and cause these things that were written down thousands of years ago to jump off the pages for us and apply it to our life today. And pray for that in Jesus' name, amen. I want to have this premise in the back of my mind this morning that I would ask you to have in the back of your mind as we work through this, and it's this reality. God is greater and more glorious than we can possibly comprehend. that His greatness goes beyond our ability to process. But with that thought in mind, do you believe that God knows what he's doing? Really, truly. Do you believe that God knows what he's doing as you're watching your world unravel? What we experienced today in June is different than what we experienced in February. Our world is different today. Do you believe that God knows what he's doing in the midst of this, in the midst of things reshaping from what they were, or do you think privately, maybe you don't even share this with people, do you think that maybe you have better plans, like thinking, that's not the way I would have done it. I certainly wouldn't have caused this. There's a major challenge in walking through trials, And the major challenge is this. We have preconceived ideas about God. We have preconceived thoughts about how He wants to carry things out. And so we're left confused when we look around and we see things not going the way that we thought they should go, when they're not unfolding the way that we thought they should unfold, when good people suffer, when good people struggle. And we saw that last week with Job. Job's suffering. He's a good person. And he's suffering innocently, according to Scripture. And he wants answers. Job wants vindication. He wants vindication before his friends, he wants vindication before his family. Most of all, he wants God to answer for why what God's doing what he's doing. I want to show you that this morning. So first of all, if you have your, maybe your finger in Job, go to Job chapter 9. I told you we're going to bounce around a little bit, but this is where we left off last week, Job 9. And Job made these statements in verses 32 through 35. He, meaning God, he is not a mere mortal like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. Verse 33, if only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. And verse 35, then I would speak up without fear of him. But as it now stands with me, I cannot. So Job's saying, I want an advocate, and I won't be afraid of him if I face him. Really, Job? I think you will. You will. But we'll get to that in a minute. And he's saying this, mind you, it's not because of sin issues. He's not saying I need a mediator between me and God because of my sin. But he wants God to explain himself. See, this is Job's argument. Job's argument is that he hasn't done anything wrong. There's nothing wrong in his life. He's examined his life. Even God said, we saw in the prologue in chapters 1 and 2, Job's a righteous guy, and he's suffering like no one else. He's lost his family. He's lost his business. He's lost his health. All in a span of a very short period of time. What seems to be an eye blink in Scripture. And he's left wondering, where did all this tragedy come from? So we left off last week in chapter three seeing that he was in a very, very dark place. He's not looking to suicide. He's not looking for that as a way out. But he's definitely ready to leave this planet because there's just too much pain. There's just too much suffering going on. Now, if we didn't have chapters one and chapters two, we might have the same perspective as Job. We might be left wondering Why are things going wrong like this? In our own lives, why are things going like they're going? Perhaps you've looked around recently in the last 12, 13, 14 weeks, and you've been left wondering privately, where's the justice? Why are things going this way? Why this tragedy? Not only viruses on a global scale, but plagues of locusts in Africa and India, And Pakistan, were you even aware of that, that that's going on in our world right now? And globally and locally, businesses being shut down and unprecedented financial losses, and then seeming to dwarf the last 12 weeks, we have this horrid death on the streets of Minneapolis, on a sidewalk, no less, which triggers riots all around our nation and more people losing their lives and legitimate cries for justice that are completely drowned out by looting and arson and police officers being assaulted and it causes you to say stop the ride I want off if this is what 2020 is going to hold when our sons were little Adam and Derek we, we left Ashley with my mom and um, um, she watched her for a day and we, we went to a theme park and Lori and I took the boys on an adventure ride at a park, and it it was a pirate ship. It swung up, and it swung down, and swung up, and swung down, and and from the ground, the kids looking up at it thought it would just be a tremendously fun ride to go on, and so the boys wanted to go on, so Lori agreed to take the boys on the ride, And, and what they didn't realize is this thing had negative Gs and positive Gs, and each time the ship went up, It left you feeling a little bit spaceless, right? And so I'm on the ground watching. I might have even had Ashley with me. I'm not sure if I remember that correctly, but Adam and Derek are on the ride with Lori. And when the ship begins rocking and going up and down, all of a sudden, this look of terror comes over Derek and Adam's face because they're freaking out that they're losing the sense of gravity and they're rocking back and forth and it's an adult ride. And they wanted off the ride, so I had to run up to the ride operator and saying, my kids are scared to death. You have to stop this ride. Well, eventually he did. The gravity allowed it to slow down, and they came to a stop. And they were like, I want it off the ride. And maybe that's the way you are right now in 2020. I want off this. I didn't sign up for this. This isn't what I thought it was when I looked at it. No matter where you find yourself in the political spectrum, No matter where you land on the ride, it may be in the quiet hours of the night, you're privately wondering, is evil taking over? Is evil in control right now? How do I make sense of all of this? Is God not in control? And maybe feeling a little righteous indignation. Perhaps you're like Job. Perhaps you want answers, but you feel like your prayers are just bouncing back off the ceiling at you. Well, in Job's case, he's examined his life, and he can't find anything out of line. And he actually uses 36 chapters to argue his case with his friends, back and forth saying, this is who I am. And his conclusion that he comes to is, God, you've got the wrong Job. You made a mistake. I know we have the same name, but you've got the wrong guy. But then God shows up and he asks the ultimate question. And I want you to see the ultimate question on chapter 40, verse 6. It says this. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, Now gird up your loins like a man. I will ask you and you instruct me. Another version would say, fill me in, Job, since you're so wise. You go ahead and teach me, Job, verse 8. Will you really, Job, will you really, will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? We'll come back to those verses in a few minutes. In your trials, whatever you're going through right now, I don't know how much you've shaken your fist at God, over the last 12 weeks. In in your trials, ask yourself this question. Must God be condemned for you to be justified? Or is he really in control? For you to be made right, must God be condemned? The, The natural default mode of most humans, we all do this, I believe, to some degree, is we have this reasoning when things don't go the way we want them to go. God, will you explain to me your rationale? What are you thinking here? This is the issue that leaves most people doubting. Those who are atheists around the world and those who are agnostic are wondering whether or not there really is a God. The Doubting at any possibility of a loving God when they look around and they see so much trauma and they see so much suffering. And begin asking this question, well, why is there racism? Why is there murder? Why is there broken homes? Why is there disease? If he's God, then he's not good. How can he be good and allow this? Either he's not good or he's not all-powerful, because you're going to have both and have this mess. I'm out. There's a lot of people who land on that position. What's behind those thoughts? Here's what's behind those thoughts. God owes me an explanation. I deserve an answer for why things are going the way that they're going. I want to know. I want him to bring an explanation. In Job's case, he says, I'm a good person. I not just want an explanation. I want vindication. Well, here's a hard truth. If If you're... New to church, you wouldn't know this. But if you've been in church, maybe you grew up in church as a child, you know this. God does ordain, God does allow that we walk through trials. And maybe you're in that place right now. Maybe you're in that trial or you know someone who is. To you, if you grew up in church or, or maybe you've been in church for a while, this is what God's word says to you in the midst of trials. We saw this last week, James 1, 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. We hit that pretty good last week. Follow it out with verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. The words it's associated with it, it's in your notes if you downloaded them this morning. It's ketergazomai. And this particular Greek word is talking about something that is working fully to the degree that it's actually manufacturing something, it's accomplishing something, and it's finishing it. So God's saying in the going through it, in the going through your trials, there is an end product coming out of it. Now I recognize this is speaking individually to a person who's got an individual personal walk with God, but the biblical principle also applies nationally It applies on a global scale. Trauma yields. It's not just trauma for the sake of trauma. Trauma yields something. Trauma properly processed, properly acted on, it refines. When I was in college, many people don't know this about me, I played college baseball for the seasons that I was in college. I played baseball through high school and through junior high and and then qualified to play college baseball. And I always looked forward to spring training, even though I knew it was going to be grueling, be a grueling workout physically. But the end result was that it would train the muscle, that we would endure what we went through because the end result would be a finely tuned body that would be able to respond on the sports field. So much like an athlete trains the muscles God says, this is a training process. Well, what's gonna be the end product of going through COVID-19? What's gonna be the end product of going through this racial stress within our nation? Well, you can be sure of this. I don't know the outcome, but I know this for sure. They're not by chance. There's purpose in it because God does not allow these things without purpose. It's gonna be different on the other side. Things are already different today for the church. They're different than what they were, but God's working through this. He can work through this. I hope you believe that. So as far as your own life is concerned, James writes this to us as believers. He says, let that refining, refining process do its work because coming out the other side, when you allow it to produce what it's supposed to produce, on the other side, God will use it. Do you believe that? If you believe that, say amen. Amen. You sitting at home right now, say amen, say it out loud. If you believe that God can use it, trust him. So I asked you last week when we were working through Job to not only read the book of Job, to read the 42 chapters because they're not that long of a chapter, but also in the midst of this to process those four biblical realities that we landed on last week about what these various trials indicate I'm just gonna refresh your mind on that for a moment. Let me refresh you on what we talked about with those four trials. You'll see them on your screen. Sometimes suffering is because of sin. And I gave you the example of Miriam in the book of Numbers that had drawn leprosy because of her sin in her life, or or this one, sometimes suffering is for chastening. And we talked about Hebrews chapter 12 there. That, That means correcting if you're new to church. Sometimes suffering is for strengthening. Sometimes suffering is for greater opportunity. Opportunity for what? Opportunity to reveal God, to put God on display. Those are the four that we talked about last week. Now, if you've ever been around people who have never really suffered, they've never been exposed to trials. The truth is they're spiritual lightweights. They they don't bring any strength to the game because they haven't gone through what suffering produces. They haven't gone through the trials, and so they're spiritual lightweights. There's no depth there. But you, as you go through trials, as you go through struggles, the more that God allows you to endure, the deeper your roots go. And the deeper your roots go, the more you can comfort others the more you have to give when it comes to the time of the storm. So struggles and trials and suffering, God says that makes you lasting. It makes you enduring because the testing of your faith, it produces, it produces what? It produces endurance, James wrote. So sometimes the suffering is because of sin. Sometimes it's for correcting. Sometimes it's for strengthening. But in every case, it's to put God on display. It's to allow God to be magnified. Now hear me on this, church. It's one thing to be lasting. It's one thing for God to make me lasting on this planet. It's another thing entirely for him to make me everlasting. Everlasting. Somehow, and I'm not sure how, I don't know, but I I believe supernaturally. I believe it comes from the Holy Spirit that God revealed to Job something he could not possibly have known on his own, something he could not have seen, and so God gave him a special gift, and you see that gift coming out in Job 19.25. God revealed something to Job in the midst of his suffering. Somehow he understood With all this suffering, with all this trauma going on, there's a need, and the need is for a redeemer, a redeemer to right the wrong, the one who can make all things new, the one who can reset the button. So I believe this. In the power of the Holy Spirit, Job utters these words of hope. Look with me on the screen at Job 19.25. As for me, I know that my redeemer lives. The word there is Gaal. We'll come back to that in just a minute. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. Verse 27 Whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. This is stunning to me on so many levels. Not only because Job is really, really old, but because he lived a long, long time before the written record of Christ. He lived in the era before the Old Testament had even been written down by Moses. He's looking forward in time, and yet he knows there's a need for a Christ. He knows more than many who currently live on the planet today, post-Christ. And he lives before Jesus 4,000 years ago, Job understood there's a need for a redeemer to right the wrongs, to put an end to the suffering and reset the planet. So I said this word redeemer was really important. I wanted to come back to it. And it's not in your notes this morning, but you'll see it on the screen. It's an important one to write down, especially if you love the story of Ruth and Naomi. You love that story? This is the same word that's used in the story of Ruth, the ga'al, Look with me at the definition, to be the next of kin, the the avenger. Job says, I know that my ga'al lives, the one who is my avenger, the one who is my redeemer. Now, if you step back into the Middle Eastern world, the ancient world, there was a policy that was carried out, especially among the people of the Orient, that perhaps when a, a woman's husband would die and she'd be left as a widow, that the family, the kinspeople, had a responsibility to step in and not let her be destitute, but to rescue her, to be a kinsman redeemer, a kinsman ga'al, the one who would step in and rescue. And Job knew in this ancient world that even though his own physical body is fading, Even though his breath is foul to his wife, he says. Even though his teeth are falling out. Even though he's covered with boils and sores and his hair is falling out. He's saying, my body's gonna be raised incorruptible. I'm gonna be changed into a glorious body. I'm gonna see him from my own flesh. Do you see that in verse 26? Even after my skin is destroyed. Can you back that up one verse for us? I I know you guys are in the sound room and you can hear me on that. Thank you for putting that up. Verse 26, even after my skin is destroyed, Even after my flesh is gone, yet from my flesh, what flesh is he talking about? My new body. From my new body, I shall see God. So when his earthly tent dissolves, there's an eternal dwelling waiting for him. Somehow, Job prophetically saw Jesus he saw him as having life in himself, the one who will stand in the final day. So this ancient man has this long-range view. This ancient one about whom this story of Job is written, church, he's your brother in Christ. You're gonna see him one day. You're gonna meet him in heaven. And he calls Jesus, my God, my Redeemer. Now to this point, We've identified the knowable reasons for suffering. It could be for sin. It could be for correction. It could be for strengthening. It could be for endurance. But when it's unknowable, when it's the reason that's unknowable, that's not revealed, that's the one that drives us crazy. Like, why in the world am I going through this? And I'm telling you, and I'm speaking to church people right now. I'm speaking to believers. This applies to you. When the reason for the suffering that you're going through, the trial that you're going through, is unknowable, you can be sure of this. You can be sure that when it's unknowable, there's a heavenly purpose. It's a purpose that God is behind. How do I know that? John chapter 9 magnifies that for us. If you know that story, you're immediately thinking what I'm thinking about in that setting. In that setting in John chapter 9, I'll put that verse for you on the screen in just a minute, but here's what's going on. The disciples are behaving like the friends of Job. They think the sin has produced some defect in somebody's body. Look with me at this story, John 9, 1. As he passed by, it's speaking of Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. See, Jesus tells us, don't jump to conclusions. Just because somebody's going through a hard time, just because there's a trial, don't jump to a conclusion. It's not because of sin. It's not for correcting, but so that God would be put on display. See, there's an unknowable reason behind it until God reveals the reason for it, that God would be glorified, that God would be magnified. So what is the gain in suffering? What is the gain in going through 12 weeks of lockdown? What is the gain of watching racial tensions erupt around the nation, and in some cases around the planet? Well, for believers, it should be that the kingdom of God would be advanced, that God would be glorified, that he would be magnified. This is what's being revealed here in the book of Job. This is what is the gain in the suffering, that we would bring glory to God. And you're thinking, as church people, rightly so, I can't add to the glory of God. Well, that's true. You can't add to the glory of God, but you can certainly put him on display that's how you bring greater glory to God make him known make him famous like David wrote in Psalm 34 oh magnify the Lord with me put a microscope on him magnify him but in our story Job's not there yet that's not where his mindset's at he's thinking I haven't done anything wrong why am I going through this See, he doesn't know what you and I know about the story of Job. He doesn't know about the accusations of Satan. And he certainly doesn't know that God considers him the outstanding person of the earth. Have you considered my servant Job, God said to Satan? Among all the people of the earth, there's no one more righteous than him. He doesn't know that. So he cries out in Job 9.33, I want a mediator. You see that? If only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. You just saw that 15 minutes ago when we started. Job's saying, I want an advocate. Because Job wants vindication, and he knows there's not a sin issue in his life. So he wants God to show up. But hear this, he wants God to show up, but his fear is that God's going to show up. His fear is that God's not only going to show up, but he's going to show up in a storm. He says that in chapter 9. He says that he might even show up in a tempest, and he would crush me. And God does show up. And God does show up in a storm. I hear this. Not to crush. God's not showing up to crush him. Watch where this goes now. This is God showing up, Job 38, verse 1. The Lord, and by the way, that's that's Yahweh. I don't know what your translation of the Bible says, but it should be capital L in front of Lord there. That means Yahweh, the personal name of God. The Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, "'Who is this that obscures my plans "'with words without knowledge?' brace yourself like a man I will question you and you shall answer me stay with me let's keep that verse on the screen for just a minute just focus on that if you don't have your Bible open look very closely what's going on here the Lord the personal name of God God shares his personal name with those whom he's in relationship with so the Lord Yahweh Yahweh spoke to Job out of a storm and he says to job who is this that obscures my plans what are god's plans his purposes your translation might even say who obscures or who darkens darkens my counsel god says i know the plans that i have for you not to harm you god says i'm causing all things to work together for good That means God has a plan, God has a purpose, God has a strategy. He has counsels that we don't know about. So God says to Job, who is this that obscures my plans, my strategies with words without knowledge? Just like when God shows up and deals with Elijah out of a storm, when God rends the mountain, when he brings a whirlwind, he busts on the scene out of a whirlwind with Job. And the word here is sarah. And it means a hurricane, it's a Hebrew word. So it's a powerful storm. It's a, it's a whirlwind, but it's very important that you see this and you understand what's going on here. Out of the storm does not come the crushing, the very thing that Job fears. Out of the storm comes the voice of love. And you might be looking at that and saying, well, I don't, I don't see love there. How do I see love there? I want you to hear this. God says to Job what he says to any child of God in the midst of trauma. When we doubt his plans, when we doubt his purposes, when we doubt the love of God, when we doubt God's mercy, here's what God says to Job. You have a major problem, Job. And your major problem is not what you think it is. Your major problem is knowledge. You don't have all the information. You have a knowledge problem. Your God is too small. I kept a book in my library for a long time. I went looking for it and I couldn't find it. And it's by J.B. Phillips called Your God is Too Small. J.B. Phillips did a great job 40 years ago illustrating this issue. God is too small, Job. I think we would all agree, if we're, if we're church people and we've been in church for a while, that love speaks truth. Jesus said, speak the truth in love, right? So love speaks truth. Truth confronts. Truth corrects. So love shows up on the scene and says, I'm going to test you. I'm going to test you to see if you have answers. Because I think your God is too small, Job. Job. And watch how this unfolds, Job 38, verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know, or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? And for the next four chapters... God dismantles every argument brought against him by going back to one major point time and time again. If you didn't get a chance to read the book of Job this last week, read the last four chapters this week, chapters 38 through 42, because they all drive home one major point, and the major point is this. We as humans vastly fail to comprehend the greatness of our God We fail in that in every way. So along the way, God gives Job multiple examples. He says, Job, I not only name the constellations, I hold them in orbit. Can you do that? Watch his presentation to Job in verse 31. Can you bind the chains of Pallades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth a constellation in its season and guide the bear with her satellites? Just hang on for a second. We'll keep that verse up for you for just a moment. You know what the bear is? The bear is the red giant that's in our galaxy. It's called Arcturus. We couldn't even see that until telescopes were developed. But God speaks to Job 4,000 years ago, and he says to him, Job, there's a red giant star out there, and I call him The bear. Arcturus, can you lead him? Can you lead the Arcturus and its satellites, meaning the moons that spin around it and all the little planets that go around it? We didn't even know they were there, but God reveals it in Job 4,000 years ago. Watch this in verse 33. Do you know the ordinances of the heavens or fix their rule over the earth? Did you know that the book of Psalms says that God not only even names the stars, he numbers them all. Watch this, and so, Psalm 147, four. He counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. Amen. I challenge you this summer. I challenge you to go outside on a clear night, maybe do it this week, and just count, start counting the stars. Let me know how that goes for you. God not only numbers them all, he gives them each names. 20 minutes ago, I asked you, do you believe that God knows what he's doing? Do you believe that God's in control, that his ways are beyond our ways? We've seen Job's argument. He wants God to show up He wants vindication because he's thinking, I'm a good person. And I'm here to tell you this morning, that's where most of our world is at. Most of our world wants to stand before God and say, I want a mediator because when I see him, I'm not going to be afraid of him. I'll tell him what I'm thinking. Really? Most of the world thinks, I'm a good person. I don't understand why these things are happening to me. Go back to where we started, Job 40, verse 6. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm, will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Must God be condemned that you might be justified? the answer is yes. I'm sure you didn't anticipate me saying that. But in truth, the answer on a macro level is yes. God would have to be condemned that we would be justified. On a micro level, in Job's story, of course the answer would be no. God's doing exactly everything according to his plan. His ways are inscrutable. Without any corruption whatsoever but on a macro level the answer is yes because we do live in a broken world we do live in a fallen world we live in a God neglecting planet filled with arrogant sinners and the reality is that has crammed our world with disparity among the races. That has crammed our world with liars and with cheaters, and we speak evil of one another. And humans murder humans made in the image of God, both on the streets of cities and in the wombs of mothers. We do that to each other. That God doesn't wipe out the whole lot of us, the whole ugly lot of us is stunning to me. How great is our God and great in mercy. So, Ephesians 2:4, but God, but God, Ephesians 2 says, being rich in mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. So God asked the ultimate question 2,000 years before God the Son became Jesus the man. You see that? Just drink that in. Maybe circle that. Maybe write that one down in the back of your Bible. Look at it on the screen. Job 40, verse 8. Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Yes. The answer is yes. Yes. God would be condemned in order for us to be justified. The very one, the only one on this planet who truly did not deserve to get what happened to him, but who suffered trauma far beyond any trauma any of us have ever known, because we humans are that broken. And the only way to hit the reset button, the only way to make all things new, the only way to revitalize this planet and everybody on it is for God the Son, the Gaal, the Redeemer, to become Jesus the man and be condemned for the whole rotten lot of us. That's what it requires. See, I told you last week that James, the half-brother of Jesus, drew the conclusion that the whole thing that happened to Job, it happened to put God on display, specifically to put God's mercy on display and God's compassion. Do you remember that from last week? Watch with me. Look with me on the screen at this. So this will come back to you real quickly. James 5.11. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, And you have seen the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I said to you last week, you might might look at the story of Job and say, I don't see compassion and mercy there. James saying, no, you're missing it. You're not reading it correctly. The vindication that you desire, that vindication to set things right again, the vindication is that God is there God is in it to be condemned in order that we would be justified. And Job finally understood, he finally got it to the degree he didn't even need an explanation going forward. He just places his hand over his mouth and says, "I'm undone." just like Elijah before God. Look with me at this as we wrap this up. Job 42:3. This is how the story ends. I have declared things which I did not understand. Or verse six, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. This is Job saying, church, I get it. I get it now. I didn't before. I don't even need to know the answers. What I needed to know is is that you're there for me. And that's exactly what God displayed when he shows up in verse uh, chapter 38. He says, "I'm, I'm here, Job. And he speaks with love from the storm. If you know the story, you know that God never did answer Job with a reason for the why. But he did come to be with Job. And in doing that, he demonstrated what the reason is not it's not that he doesn't care, it's not that he doesn't love but that he asks us to trust him in the midst of our trauma. And as you grow in Christ, you you reach the point where the trust is so great that you don't even need an explanation. And that's where Job hit that point, right at the very end where he said, okay, it's too wonderful for me. I I don't even need an explanation. He simply rests in the assurance of God's plan, that he's causing all things to work together for good. So even in the midst of watching your world unravel, you can say, my Redeemer lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, that we would have that same image before us on a regular basis, especially in the midst of our trials and traumas, that our Redeemer lives. And that he shall take his stand at the last. And even as our flesh decays, even when we turn to dust, we will from a new body see the one who stands, our Redeemer. That we have this assurance in the Lord Jesus Christ is guaranteed by your word. And so we praise you and thank you for this reality. It's in Jesus' name we praise you. And all God's people said, amen.